Amen. Okay. So this movie is one of my favorite movies. It's a wonderful life. And it, and it uses this uh, counterfactual history. You, you know what that is? It means like uh, looking back at history as if all the facts were opposite. Basically, this is a movie that is about what if. George, what if you had never lived? That's what happens in this movie. I'll try not to give away the ending, okay? But if you really want to know, you, you need to hurry up and see it, okay? Because I might give, away the, the, give the ending away in the next couple of weeks, all right? I'll try not to give the ending away too much right here today. But he gets the opportunity to see what life would be like if he had never lived. And so that's a lot of what the clip was that you saw. We, we had to splice a few little things together, but you saw a lot of what was going on. If George had never lived, if George Bailey had, had never existed. But it's more than just that. It's a wonderful life. Give me that next slide. It's, it's a wonderful life is a story that exposes the false perceptions we have about changing the world. You want to be a world changer? I mean, some of us, you know, my age, some of us, we've given up on being a world changer. You know, we just, we just hope to, you know, we just hope to change our, 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 you know, our salary level a little bit next week or next month or whatever. We're just hoping for little incremental changes. But some of you, I, I hope, and I hope for those of you that kind of given up on being a world changer, I hope you'll get, you'll get the, the passion for it again. You'll get the desire for it again because I know some of you do. I know that's what's in your mind. I know you want to actually do something to change the world. But we got things kind of backwards or, or messed up, and sometimes we think those who change the world are not the ones that really make the biggest impact on changing the world. Now, George, uh, you know, I don't have time to tell you all of his story, but I can tell you a little bit of it right now. George wanted to explore. Now, that's what he called it. Called it. He, he always talked about exploring. There's a really funny clip early in the movie about him and a couple of girls. I think I'll show it to you maybe next week, uh, him and a couple of girls when he, he's still, still young, still a little kid. And he talks about exploring and, you know, and, and national geographic. And he's the, he's the only one that gets it in the, in the, the, the town because he's the only explorer, you know, uh, that's kind of like, you know, you, that letter that you get from publishers clearing house every once in a while that says you've already won. You know, that's what he, he kind of thinks the same thing of that. He, he wants to explore, but is he really wanting to explore or is he wanting to escape? Because all the things I hear him talk about He's talking about escaping. He's, you know, he's not talking about uh, exploring and like accomplishing. He's talking about escaping. It's easier to run to some place where everyone seems to have it all together than help put things together right where you are. That's a lot easier, isn't it? And a lot of us take that, that uh, easy way out to go find a place that everything's all together, everything works, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they're not any weird people. This, this, this one's funny. You know, when we were pastoring in Birmingham about, I, I guess it's probably about uh, 12, 13 years ago now, we were pastoring here in Birmingham. And, uh, and we, hired this, we hired this awesome, great, great friends of ours. We hired them to come. They, they were living in Dothan. And we hired them to come and be our ministers of music at the church that we were pastoring. And when, when everything was working and, and, and they were getting ready to move, his, his little boy who was probably a preteen at that time, might have been 13 years old, but probably a preteen, he told, he told his dad this. He said, Dad, I am so glad that we're going to get to move to Birmingham and I won't have to put up with any rednecks anymore. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes we, we really don't understand, do we? You know, and so what, what he thought of, here, here's the solution, Dad, is let's move to Birmingham where there are no rednecks. You know, I, I don't know what problem he was having with rednecks. Uh, Terry told me about this, you know. I don't know what problem he was having, but 
You know, that's the kind of attitude we all have. It's easier to just go somewhere else and start all over than it is. And sometimes what we do is we look like, you know, the grass is always greener over on the other side of the fence. You know, I think it was, I don't know if she was the first one, Irma Bombeck said the grass is always greener over the septic tank, right? It, you know, except in droughts. But, you know, it's always greener over the septic So you got to watch. But we, we kind of get those same attitudes. And, 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 you know, people like run from marriages, and, and use, the, use the out of a divorce. And, and listen, there are some times that, that divorce is the only option. And, you know, but people too quickly and too easily run from a marriage thinking that this one is not working and I'll go over here and fix this. Fix, uh, instead of fixing this, I'll go over here where somebody's already got it. And, and if somebody's winking at them, you know, somebody's flirting with them or whatever. And they think, oh, they've got it together. And you know, there's nobody in this world that's got it together. There's nobody in this world that's not weird, already messed up. Come on, say amen. I mean, there's nobody in this world that's not messed up in some way. We all have our stuff. And the only thing you're doing is you're just trading one set of problems for another set of problems when you run from a situation, not just talking about marriage, but in any situation. But it's so much easier to go over here. And, and that's why you find people who flip back and forth and bounce around looking for because... They never find that perfect place because there are no perfect places. The solution is settle down where God has put you and accomplish what he's given you to accomplish. You see, because here's what George said about the town. Here's how he felt about Bedford Falls. He said, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet. It's one thing to run to where God's called you to. It's another thing to run from. You know, Abraham, he's, he's a great example. When God called Abraham to be the, be the father of the nation of Israel, for, to, be, to, to, to father these people that would be a blessing to all generations, when God called him, he called him away from his home, but he didn't just say, now run out there in the wilderness and you'll find somewhere to go. No, he said, I'm gonna take you to a place that you've not seen. I have, there was a place to go to. God doesn't normally, most of the time, call us away. He calls us to something. It's so easy to, to run from, but if you're running from, you're going to be running for the rest of your life. See, what, what, what other things that he said, he said, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet. You know, he said, I want to see the world. He didn't say, I want to change the world. He didn't say, I want to make the world better. He didn't say that I want to do something about world hunger or, or the world's water problems. I want to save endangered species of animals or, or I want to go help with the violence in some other country. He didn't say those things. He said, I want to see the world. It's all about him. He said, I want to see the world. And he said, then when I come back, I'm going to build things. I'm going to build big things, whether they need them or not. You know, he didn't say anything about that. He said, he didn't say I'm coming back as an architect and I'm going to build the things people need. He said, I'm going to build things. He was talking about building monuments to himself, big bridges and big buildings and big things. He said, this, this, is, this is what I was talking about with that first slide a few moments ago. We have the false perception that just to go out and do big things and go big places and go, that that's changing the world. Oh, and he was missing it so horribly, terribly, because he wasn't able to see what was right in front of his face. And he's a lot like the people that Paul talked about in the scripture. I think it's in the, in the book of, uh, where's my scripture? Is it Corinthians? My next slide, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Paul says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. He said, okay, I don't want to compare myself with these guys. Let me tell you about these guys. 
when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Get that? <laughs> Need to read that two or three more times and get it. When they, when they uh, measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You know, if you measure yourself only by yourself, you can always get better. A wife beater can hit his wife one time less tomorrow and say, well, I'm a better man today than I was yesterday. You can, right? When you're measuring yourself by yourself, when you're comparing yourself with yourself, or even with your friends, even, even in a small crowd, and say, and say you know, I'm, and compare yourself just with the crowd. So we're not like those people, you know, and just compare myself with myself. And this is what, this is what, uh, uh, this is what George was like, because George, what he was doing was, it was all about him. He was all just focused and wrapped up in himself. And even that, that statement that he made, that I'm, shucking, I'm, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off of my feet. You know what? George was part of the dust. You know, that was his town. That's where he was born and raised. That's where he grew up. That's where he learned everything. He's part of the dust of that town. It's just like running to another marriage, you know, because mine's a mess. On average, I will say, you are 50% of the problem of your marriage. You know, if your marriage is a mess, you are, on average, you're 50% of the problem. You know, so just running to another one doesn't fix anything. You know, your job or school, you having problems there in your job or your school, you're more than 50% responsible for the problems in your job or your school, probably. You know, now I know there are some, some situations where there's a boss or whatever, but sometimes you need to look around and quit comparing yourself with yourself and start looking around and say, well, wait a minute, they're making it. They're getting the grades. They're able to study and, and actually pass the test. Or oh, wait, this guy, he's, he's being able to do some things here in the company and get a raise and whatever. Sometimes you got to look around and say, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe the problem is me. And I know uh, I may be really coming out hard on George here, you know, but, but just stick with me here. Because here, here's the problem. It's what George was saying was not matching his heart. George is an awesome man. And, and that's, that's what we end up seeing in this movie, how awesome he is. When you look around and you see how, how different the world would be if George hadn't lived, then you say, wow, what an awesome man he really was. But he was talking all these crazy things. Because when he was having problems, you know, he, he was like, well, I just, need to, I just need to leave this crummy little town. And what he was going to do is he was going to take his awesomeness and just throw it away, trash it, get rid of it. But he was an awesome man. But he had to, get, he had to start getting his mouth to match his heart. And, and some of you, 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 don't, you don't just have awesome stuff in your future, potentially. You're doing awesome right now. But some of you, you're, you're looking around and you're struggling here or there, and so you're thinking, uh, this isn't right or that isn't right. And so, so you're thinking, I, I got to make some changes. So, so if you're not careful, you, you, know, you, know, you won't tweak changes. You, you know, you'll cut things and you'll take off running. You'll go in some totally different direction from where you've been and all the work that God has given you to do and, and how awesome you've actually been accomplishing things and, and you'll just give it all away. And, and I'm not talking about the possibilities. I'm talking about truthfully because I see you do it. I've seen people do it all of my ministry. It gets, it gets so, so consumed with what, what might be, what could be, and, and maybe the grass is green over there and lose everything that 
you've already been doing that is amazing for God. Let me tell you three things about being a world changer because you have that potential in you. And some of you are already fulfilling it, but I, I, I am worried that you're not seeing how awesome God is already working through you. Three things about being a world changer real quick. And the first one is living for yourself is an empty existence. I, I started to write living for yourself is an empty life, but living for yourself is not life. Go ask somebody who lives alone and doesn't have any family. They'll tell you, I don't feel like I, I'm just existing. I don't have a life. Go find somebody who has, you know, and, and maybe they have family, but they don't want to want to be around their family. They don't want any time with them. Go find someone like that who is truly alone and, and ask them. They will tell you, no, this is not a life. It's just an existence. And what George was talking about, George was talking about leaving everybody and everything behind that had loved him and that he had loved. He was, he, he was not remembering the love that was inside of his heart. He already had this awesome, amazing heart for people, and yet he was so frustrated by things in life that he was, he was ignoring the love that he had. He's ready to just walk away and just, just quit and just go and, and, and do something crazy. I'm going to go and just see the world, and I'm going to do everything for me. But that's such an empty existence. And, and, and the reason God wants me to say this today and the reason you've heard this before and the reason you see this in Scripture and read is because God wants the best for you. He wants amazing for you. He wants awesome for you. And he knows if you're just living for yourself, you are not being fulfilled. You are, you are not experiencing the amazing. And so he picks at you with little sermons like this. He picks at you through the week and, and tells you to, to, to reach out to somebody else and let it be about somebody else. Matthew chapter 6, and I started to, started to uh, but we had to read almost half a chapter there. But we, we, we've used it before on a Sunday morning. But you remember this, Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus says, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about all those things that you think you need to worry about in life because what can you really do for yourself as far as really maintaining and building and creating and getting that out there in the view? What can you do? You can't do anything. Can you make yourself taller by an inch if you just want to? Or you can go buy some lifts or some, you know, some extra thick Dr. Scholes to put in. Yeah, I guess you can. But you can't, really, you can't really change your stature and who you are. He says, no, 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 do this. This is verse 33. He said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And I'll add all these other things to you. All these other things will be taken care of. And so you hear, you, you, you've heard me before, and, and here, I'll say, it, I'll say it again. Is that when you've got needs, and, and there are some of you sitting here with me today, you have serious, serious needs. I actually, I actually stood there in the middle of that first or second song. I, I don't remember exactly which one it was, but it was one of the early songs. And I thought, God, I just need to, I just need to stop service right now. We just got people that we just need to pray for because we've got people that are hurting today. And God reminded me, he said, no, I'm giving you a sermon for today, and it's about people who are hurting and for them to stop looking inside themselves like George Bailey did and say, I'm hurting, so I'm leaving here. I'm going out some other place where everything's fine. And tell them that everything's not fine out there. That, and God reminded me, you know, you've got a message to them today that the, 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 the way to see things begin to come together is to not surround themselves with some fence, but to surround themselves with people who also have needs. And in meeting their needs and in blessing them, God says, then I'll take care of what you have, to, what you have need of. You see, because the, the things I need, I can't do. Anybody sick today? Can you heal yourself? No, but God can heal you. And so what he says is if you're sick in body today, then look for somebody else that you can minister to. Seek first his kingdom. And he said, and I'll take care of all the things that you need 
that you can't do for yourself. And example after example, let me give you, let me give you a cool one. I, I, anybody know who Terrell and, and uh, Joanna are? I've got a picture of them right here. Anybody seen this picture this week? Or the past couple of weeks? Y'all seen this picture? You might, have seen, you might have heard the story, but you just don't recognize the people. Terrell and Joanna, okay? Terrell, 14 years ago, in the year 2000, okay, he's a, he's a young guy right there, right? He's, he's only seven years, seven years old in 2000. So 21, he's 21, 14 years ago, his church was, was part of a shoebox, Christmas shoebox thing. And he, he, put, he put one together, and, and for some reason God laid on his heart to, to do one for a little girl. And it was sent to Manila in the Philippines. And, and this girl, there she is, Joanna, she, she, uh, she received the gift and she saw the name and, and the name was Terrell, I forget his last name, but, and he was from Idaho. And, and, it, and it so touched her heart that she wrote him a letter. She wrote, wrote him back almost immediately, sent the letter to him, but he never got the letter. And then as she began to grow up and, and she was able to get, on, uh, get online and you know, Facebook, she started doing some research and she found him in Idaho. And so she Facebook friended him, sent him some messages and, and they started corresponding. And he thought, man, I, I gotta go, back, go, go over there. And I gotta meet this girl. And so he saved up his money and he, and he took time off from work and he, and he flew there and, and, and he was gonna be there for 10 days. And, and, and about the fifth day, he said, he said, man, I wanna take this girl out. And so he went and he asked her, asked her father, is it all right if, if, I, if I ask your daughter out, take her on a date? And the father said, okay. And so for the next five days they dated. He had to get on the plane and he had to come back to the States, to Idaho, but he couldn't get over this little girl. He couldn't get over this girl that, that God had somehow brought them together 14 years ago. And now he had, you know, and she tried to reach out and wasn't able to then, but God still brought them back together. And so you know what he started doing? He started saving his money again. And, and they continued to correspond and, and, and their love began to grow deeper and deeper. And he, 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 kept, he kept saving money until he finally had enough money to go back. And he went back with this one purpose. He went back so that he could talk to her father again. But this time it wasn't to ask if he could date her. It was to ask if he could have her hand in marriage. And so he, he flies back to, I mean, isn't this an awesome story? Somebody ought to make a movie out of this one, right? I mean, he flies back to Manila, gets there, and, and, and you know, she's crying all over again. And, and, and he goes to the father, takes take some time to get away just with the father and ask for her hand in marriage. And he agrees. And last month, in November of 2014, 14 years after that shoebox was wrapped, Terrell and Joanna were married in Idaho at his, at his father's ranch. Is that not an amazing story? Here's, here's kind of the epilogue, the last things he said about it. He said, as a seven-year-old boy, when I wrapped that box with all those toys in it for a little girl, he said, I was thinking about how much joy this is going to bring to some little girl that I don't know. But I never imagined how much joy it was going to bring back to me. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He's saying, seek first my kingdom. Do what you can do for my kingdom, and I'll take care of all that other stuff that you can't handle. You see, because what we do a lot of times, we come in on Sunday morning, we got so much stuff on us, we can't talk to anybody else about their stuff, we got to talk about our stuff. Now listen, some of you have told me about your needs this week. You, you keep doing that with your pastor, okay? I'm not telling you don't tell, but we get so consumed with them sometimes, we're not even asking, how are you doing today? Ask somebody around, you know, when, when you come in with your thing, you know, if you've got a need, the word of God says, if you're sick in body, call for the elder, let them pray for you and believe and the prayer of faith will heal you, will save the sick, the word says there. So, so by all means do that. 
But if you come in with a problem, don't come in and be so consumed with this that you don't see that there's somebody hurting just as much as you are, or maybe even more, sitting right behind you or right in front of you. Because li- living, living that life of just for yourself, it, it, it'll destroy. <laughs> Let me say it to you this way. I know, let me go on. Let me go on to the next, next thing. Next thing is, is, the next point is chasing someone else's dreams will destroy you. Here's what we do. Is we see a snapshot of someone's life and we say, I want to be like them. I want to be like them. You know, like you see a snapshot of someone who is standing on top of Mount Everest holding the flag, you know, and like I made it to the top and how beautiful it is up there. And you say, man, wouldn't that be awesome? I want to be like them. No, you don't. That's a snapshot. You don't know. It doesn't show all, the, uh, all of the struggles and all the training and, and, and even all the detoxing you have to do with your body to get ready to climb a mountain and to go up that high and to exert yourself getting that high where the air is so thin, all the work you have to do. You don't see any of that in the snapshot, right? But we do the same thing with all of life. We look around, we see somebody who's made it, you know, and we say, I want to be like them. You better be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for because it's not just the snapshot. It's, you know, we really need a video, don't we? To see what it takes to get to that place. And so what we do is then we start saying, I want what they've got. And then and we're really not gifted to be what they are because we're gifted to be who we are. You are an individual and you're an individual on purpose. God made you exactly who you are because wherever you are in life, he needed somebody exactly like you. Or he'd have put you somewhere else. God needs you where you are. And, and so, 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 but when we start trying to become that snapshot and, and things don't fit and things aren't working and we're killing ourselves to try to become something that we're not, you eventually give up. It'll destroy you chasing someone else's dream. Because, you know, the reality is there's only one Donald Trump. I thought I might get a thank God there or something, you know. There's only one Donald Trump. But for every Donald Trump, There are thousands of small business owners in this country that are literally changing their communities. You may say, oh, but Donald Trump, he is changing the world. Is he really? How much impact has he had on your life? I mean, if you listed listed all the people that have really impacted your life, would Donald Trump be in the top 10? 20? 50? I mean, yeah, he has impacted some financial things in this world that trickles down, and yes, it does, but has he really impacted your life? No, not like the small business owners out here who who have done things to maybe keep prices down or done things to bring community or done things to to, to restore some things, and not not near as much as some people like that. Or Martin Luther King, for every Martin Luther King, and listen, there's a lot of copies out there, but there's only one Martin Luther King. You know, and I don't have time to preach that. Well, I want to preach that message right here too. There's only one Martin Luther King. But for every Martin Luther King out there that literally changed the fabric of our, of our society here in the United States of America. Thankfully, you guys ain't got a clue about the era that I grew up in when I was really young. Thank God, and you know, we got people, a few people like Martin Luther King to thank for that. But for every Martin Luther King, who changed a country, a nation. There are millions of moms and dads who are changing the attitudes of our culture one child at a time. So who, who, who's really, really, really changing the world? Billy Graham, 
I know I used to hear people all the time say ministers say I want to be like Billy Graham by, by some estimates preached over 200 million people in his lifetime who knows how many people have a relationship with Jesus Christ today because of Billy Graham and you could say wow I want to be like but for every Billy Graham there are thousands of local pastors and local youth pastors that were so much need because think of what Billy Graham did is he impacted all those lives one time he poured a message into them one time and maybe they were gripped by, by conviction and the love of Jesus Christ and forgiveness they were able to embrace. But then Billy Graham and his ministry team, they had to have thousands, thousands of local churches and local pastors and local youth pastors that they could take these new converts and stick them in the church and say, here, now you disciple them. And we, you know, it's like we all want to be on the big stage and we all want to, you know, we all want to preach the big message and see, see 10,000 people come to know the Lord. But, but, you know, maybe they were changing a moment or there, but who really changes the world are the ones who are discipling after the evangelist has left town. Like some of you, uh, some of you guys, y'all want to be, here's a name for you, Bono. You know? Now, those of you who are my age and older, I'm not talking about the guy who used to be married to Cher, Okay. Google it, Bono, U2, uh, the, the letter U and the number two, okay, if, you, if you're my age or older, okay? Google it and maybe you'll figure out. Bono. And you know, Bono, he's not just the guy who, who's written the music, I mean, songs that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even, didn't even realize that U2 was the one that, 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 that first uh, recorded it, you know, I, I, they've just become a part of who we are. And yet Bono, he, he got his money and, and he didn't just rest on his money, he, he's, he's out there doing good, he's out there changing the world. But for every Bono, there are thousands of local church musicians who stand up and every Sunday morning, they lead people into the very presence of God. And tell me today, who is really changing the world? We wanna be the Billy Grahams and the Donald Trumps and the Bonos of, of society and change the world, but who's really changing the world? It's not those. He said, that, I think that's one thing that this movie is showing us more than anything is it's not those people who are running around the world and seeing the big things and building the big things and supposedly doing the big things. It's the ones that, that find out who they are. George was about to lose it all. He was, he was ready to throw the whole thing away. He was, he was ready to just, just, just get rid of every bit of it and he was going to lose who he was and lose all the good he had done. Because he just didn't embrace who he was and he, what he began to realize, and we're just beginning to see the beginnings of it right here in those clips, what he began to realize is God gave me an awesome life and I've already been doing wonderful things and he's been doing wonderful things through me. And, if you, and, and so, so his, his, his mouth needed to connect with his heart and understand this is who God has called me to be and that I am literally changing the world right where I am. You're doing that. You, if you're following God, you are changing the world, right? Because really who, okay, like I asked you, if we listed those people who, who impacted our lives, would Billy Graham even, I mean, a, a minister of the gospel, would he be in the top 10 of anybody in this room? Even though he's a, a minister of the gospel, would he, unless you got saved listening to one of his sermons or being in one, probably he would not be in the top 10 uh, most impactful people in your life of anybody in this room. And Bono, I mean, you know, unless you're a musician that you just, I mean, you've written every song in, in his style or something, there's nobody here that would 
even have him on the list and how big you're one of the list. I mean, it's not those people. That this, is, this is the false perception we have about changing the world is that we have to have a big stage or a big pulpit or a large crowd. But to really change the world. There was a little mother somewhere years ago that gave birth to Billy Graham and raised him to nurture him in the gifts and the callings that God had put inside of him. And because of that mother, and without that mother, look, without that mother, where would we be today? But because of that mother, Billy Graham preached over 200 million people. And hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ because of a mom who changed the world by changing her one little boy, Billy. So where, 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 where would we be? Oh, I've got one more up there. I've got to just say real quickly, if I can. It's simply impacting one life changes the world. This is, this is what we're learning from George Bailey's life. I think we're learning from these great men. You heard, you might not have caught it real quick, and I got to hurry here, but, but George, without George, his mom was a lonely widow, sour. She wasn't that way when, when George had impacted her life but she was sour now. Her, her, his Uncle Billy was in the insane asylum because George wasn't there to help him with his business and, and to keep his mind kind of focused and straight and, and help him with his problems that he had. His wife was a, a fearful old maid. And his kids, they weren't even born, right? They weren't even there. Well, Mr. Gower, you remember the druggist? Uh, you haven't been introduced to him yet uh, if you've never seen the movie. But there was, there was a druggist early in the, in the, in the movie when, when George is, is a little boy, probably about 10 years old. And there, there's a druggist and he made a horrible mistake, but George caught the mistake. And, and when George wasn't there, you know what happened? George didn't catch the mistake. And so, so uh, pills that were supposed to be medicine ended up being filled with poison and a little boy died. And Mr. Gower, the druggist, went to prison. And Harry Bailey, his own little brother, because George wasn't there to rescue him when he was eight years old and he fell through the ice. Harry died at eight years old, so he didn't grow up and he didn't become, he didn't become a, a great leader in the military. He didn't, he didn't save all the men on that transport and all the men on that transport passed away because Harry wasn't there, as Clarence said, Harry wasn't there to save those men because George wasn't there to save Harry. All it takes is impacting one life, just one life. And see, that's, that's not just my thoughts or my idea. That's the way God set it up. He doesn't change the world with a lot of cassette tapes. Oh, I got to, I'm sorry. Uh, you guys don't know what cassette tapes are. He's not going to change the world with a lot of podcasts. Cassette tapes were the big deal back when I first got to the ministry. You know, everybody got to get their, ta- their sermons on cassette tapes so you can sell them to everybody, you know. And he wasn't going to change, it wasn't his plan to change the world through the podcasts. And he wanted us to connect with one another. And one of the things that makes it so much a wonderful life is the connections that we have with people. And when we, you know, and you know, you come in and you've got a problem one week and then you come in the next week and I see the smile on your face, you made it another week. Maybe even you got your miracle this past week. And I'm like, 
thank God. And I get to be a part of that. I get to watch that. I don't get to watch that if, I'm, if you and I are just connected through a podcast. That's not God's way. Let me, let me show you his way. This was, this was written. Here's a poem. And, 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 and I wouldn't normally take this much time. And, I, and I'm, uh, we went a little long already today. But this is the beginning of our Christmas series. And I just want to read you something. This was, this was written near, getting close to probably about 80 years ago, getting close to 100 years ago. One solitary life. Let's re- just read this with me, if you will. It won't take long. He was born in an obscure village, the, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30 when public opinion turned against him. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself, and he was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is a central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. And that one solitary life, Jesus Christ, didn't meet you in a crowd. He met you individually, didn't he? He didn't just speak to you through the mouth of a pastor to a bunch of folks. You heard him speak to your heart. I hope you've said yes to him. If you never have, today would be a great day to just say yes. Make my life awesome and make me a world changer. But those of you who have said yes, you know, you know what, I'm, what I'm talking about is the truth. He reached you one-on-one, just you and him. It may have been in a huge crowd, but it was still one-on-one. That's who he is and that's who he calls us to be. To be one solitary life reaching out to one other solitary life, one-on-one in connection, in community, together. Not separated, not running from problems, but standing in the middle of problems and helping make them better. Can I ask you to do something with me? Would you stand? Would you come to the front? If you're a first time attender, we'd like to close at the front with just a final thought, prayer, and a final song. Like really love doing that last song all together right here in the front. So if you will join us, if you're comfortable, you can. Why didn't, uh, why didn't Jesus, you ever think about that? Why didn't Jesus come sit on the throne? Why didn't Jesus want to rule or be in, you know, their Senate, the Sanhedrin? Why didn't Jesus want to do those kinds of things? Because that's not the way to change the world. You see that? See that? He literally changed the world. Jesus changed the world. But he didn't do it the way you and I see greatness sometimes, did he? He didn't do the things that we view as the great world changers. I mean, if you, if you didn't put the name there, if you didn't put crucified and some of those things, you, would, you might not have even known it was Jesus, and you'd say, that wasn't a great man. 
Never traveled more than two, probably uh, never, more than 200 miles. Probably never spoke to more than six or 7,000 people ever at any point in his life. And he, we call him a great, he's the greatest that ever lived because that's the way to change the world. It's one life at a time. It's, it's what we call the Great Commission of Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, I'm with, and he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And Jesus, through his followers, through his followers, he left through his followers. You think about when Jesus left, as far as we know, he had about 120 followers left, and that's all. He had a small church. That's what we find out in Acts chapter 2. There's about 120 still around. That's about all he had left that would keep going with him. He had about 120 followers, and that was all. But when he left, he changed the world through his followers. One city, one community, one life at a time. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging it. This is the challenge from God, but it's been handed to me. I'm challenging you today. Go change the world. There's somebody around you. There's somebody around you that is hurting worse than you've ever hurt in your life. There's somebody that you're working with is going through a time that there, there are people, there are people that are in this room right now. And I can call their names. We, we don't do that kind of thing around here. But there are people in this room right now. I mean, people that I know of. I'm not saying there probably are. I'm telling you there are people in this room right now that are dying inside. They're hurting worse than George Bailey ever thought about hurting. They're hurting worse than most of you have ever hurt in your life. They're dying inside. You know what they need? They need some time. They need somebody. They need some connection. They don't need $1,000. They don't need 24-7 of your time. They just need a little bit of you. People in this room, people that you work with, people that you go to school with, and sometimes you never know because we get really good at masking the hurt. I want to pray over you right now, and I want to pray that God helps you see through the masks. And that he helps you connect because where you're really going to be fulfilled is what, is, is what he's given you in your heart to do, what you're already doing with the people that are already around you. Don't run from those problem people that God's put in your life. He's put you there to help them. He's put you there. You know, I, I don't want to offend anybody, okay? But my family, we've often asked, why is it we always seem to draw weird people to us in church? I told him it's because we're weird. <laughs> and you know what I think a lot of times? It's because nobody else wants to deal with weird or problems or struggles or battles or people with issues. Nobody else wants to. That's who we are, 2911. Don't you ever forget it. We don't need a bigger stage. We don't need a bigger pulpit. We don't even have one. We don't even need a, a larger crowd. All we need to remember is that God called us to do life together because we're all struggling in some way. Let's pray. Father.